0: Uh, namaskaram, uh, Ernesto, Michael, Jose. Today we're <laughs> going to, to discuss verses 10 and 11 of Nanyar and uh, discuss the topic of Vairagya.
1: Shall I begin by going through the meaning of these two paragraphs hmm. and explain how they're connected with Vairagya? <clears throat> that is, this is paragraphs 10 and 11 of, uh, of Nanyar. These are the two paragraphs in which Bhagavan talks about visheya vasanas. Visheya vasanas are our inclinations to experience anything other than ourself. That is, vasana means inclination and visheya means objects or phenomena. In other words, anything other than ourself is a visheya. So the natural flow of the mind is to go outwards. The mind is constantly grasping things other than itself, as Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Ulluddhanapadu, uh, <clears throat> in which he that is the essence of the mind is ego. And he describes ego in verse 25 of Ulluddhanapadu as a formless demon or phantom. It's formless because it has no form of its own. Uh, but without grasping a form as, it, as if it were itself, it, it has no separate existence. So what Bhagavan says in verse 25 is, grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on form, it, it flourishes abundantly. Leaving form, it grasps form. A form means anything that is distinguishable from any other thing. So all forms are finite. All forms are bishayas. So... The very nature of ourself as ego is to be constantly grasping bishayas. Um so The first vishaya or form that we grasp is the body that we take to be ourself. The body here means the body consisting of five sheaths, the physical form of the body, the life that animates it, and the mind, intellect, and will that function within it. All these are collectively referred to by Bhagavan as body. And this is the first form that we grasp. We take this body to be ourself. And only after taking this body to be ourself are we aware of all other things. So we come into existence as ego, grasping the form of a body as ourself. We endure, we stand or endure as ego, grasping the form of a body as ourself. And then uh, grasping and feeding on other forms, we as ego Flourish abundantly. So the form, the food that nourishes ego is, this, is, um, is the vishayas, the, 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 the forms that we are constantly feeding it. And ego cannot stand for a moment without grasping form. So, as Bhagavan says in the next sentence, tadinal otum pidicum, if seeking, it takes flight. That means if we as ego, Instead of going outwards grasping other things, if we turn back inwards to try to grasp ourselves, we as ego will subside and dissolve back into our source. That's what he means by take flight. It will run that the ego will will run away. Because ego has no real existence. Egos, we seem to be egos so long as we're looking outwards. But if we look within, there's no such thing as ego to be found. So by turning our attention within to see who am I, that is to see what we actually are, to see our own reality, we thereby subside and merge back into what we actually are, which is just pure such pure being awareness. But so long as we rise as ego, we, it's the very nature of the ego to have viseyavasanas. Vishayavasanas are not ego, but it's the nature of e- ego to have Vishayavasanas, to be constantly inclined to grasp form, to grasp as things other than itself. So that's just an explanation of what Bhagavan means by Vishayavasanas. So he begins this paragraph, this 10th paragraph, by saying, even though vasanas, which come from time immemorial, rise in countless numbers like ocean waves, they will all be destroyed when Dhyana increases and increases." Um, when he said they rise, they rise in the form of likes, dislikes, desires, attachments, thoughts, feelings, emotions, perceptions, memories, everything that we experience, all the shayas, are just sprouted forms of these visheya-vasanas. Visheya-vasanas are the seeds, Vishayas are the, um, are the plant, that sprout from those seeds. Um, and so long as we're aware of visheyas, our mind is going outwards, away from ourselves. But he says, though they rise in countless numbers like ocean waves, that is constantly the whole of the waking and dream state is nothing but the play of Vishaya Vasanas, um, that everything we experience is a Vishaya, which appears because of uh, uh, because of our inclination to uh, project and experience such things. Um, but all these Vishaya Vasanas will be destroyed when Swarupa Dhyana increases and increases. Swarupa Dhyana means that is, Swarupa means literally means own form. That's our own real nature, what we actually are. In other words, the the fundamental awareness I am, our being, that is Swarupa. Dhyana means meditation. So meditation on our own real nature. In other words, self-attentiveness, turning our attention within and trying to hold on to self-attentiveness. That's what he means by Swarupa Dhyana. So the more we practice trying to be self-attentive, the more of the vishaya-vasanas will gradually weaken and eventually be destroyed. And then he goes on to say, without giving room even to the doubting thought, so many vasanas ceasing or being dissolved, is it possible to be only as Swarupa, only as we actually are, that means, instead of doubting that, it is necessary to cling tenaciously to self-attentiveness. That is, without giving room to rising of any other thought, we should just be steadfastly clinging to self-attentiveness. And then he goes on to say, however great a sinner one may be, if instead of lamenting and weeping, I am a sinner, how am I going to be saved? One completely rejects the thought that one is a sinner and is zealous instead or steadfast in self-attentiveness. One will certainly be... Uh, Be reformed. Uh, That is the word Bhagavan uses, Uruparavan. It means reformed in the sense of we'll be saved. It can also be taken as we'll be transformed into what we actually are. Um, So um, that is, if we think I am a sinner, that is a false identification. Because it's only when we rise as ego and identify ourselves with the body and mind, but we engage in actions, whether good actions or bad actions. So to think I am a sinner is a false identification. So we need to not even give room to this false identification, I am a sinner. We need to find out who am I. What we actually are never does any action, it's just pure being. So. It's only when we rise as ego but we seem to be a good person or a bad person or a sinner or a saint or whatever. So all those are false identifications. What we actually are is just pure being. And in order to know ourselves as pure being, we need to uh, be steadfast and zealous in, um, in self-attentiveness. So if we steadfastly hold on to self-attentiveness, we will certainly be saved. Why? Because the more we hold on to self-attentiveness, the weaker the vishaya vasanas will become. So we'll be having our inclination to go outwards will be weakened, and our love to turn within the sattvasana, the, the inclination to hold on to our own being, that will be strengthened. So the, the more we practice self-attentiveness, the more the vishaya vasanas are weakened and the sattvasana is correspondingly strengthened. That sattvasana is what is otherwise called Swatma bhakti, a love for our own real, love for ourselves as we actually are. So that's the 10th paragraph. Then in the 11th paragraph, he continues on the same um, in the same way. He says, as long as vishaya vasanas exist in the mind, so long is the investigation who am I is necessary. Um, that is... It's the very nature of ego to have Vesheya-Vasanas. So until ego, the root of the mind, is completely eradicated, so long the mind survives, Vasanas will survive. Um, So what he means here is, so long as we continue, or what he implies here, so long as we continue rising as ego and therefore going outwards, having any even the slightest inclination to go outwards, so long this investigation, who am I, is necessary. What he refers to here as the investigation, who am I, is what he described in the previous paragraph as Swarupadhyāna. Then he goes on to say, as and when thoughts appear, then and there it is necessary to annihilate them by vichārāna in the very place from which they rise. That is, why does he bring in the topic of thoughts here? Because if we allow ourselves to be swayed by the vishaya vasanas, if our attention goes outwards, that outward going movement of our mind, that is what is called thought or thinking. So, the, the thoughts appearing means, any, according to Bhagavan, all phenomena, all vishayas are nothing but thoughts. Not only are all objects thoughts, even the subject, namely our self as ego, is itself a thought. What is not a thought is only the pure awareness I am, which is Swarupa, what we actually are. So, so long as thoughts appear, that means so long as our attention is going away from ourself, then and there it's necessary to annihilate them all by vicharana in the very place from which they rise. So, as soon as we get an inclination to think of anything else, we should hold on firmly to self-attentiveness, which is what he means by Vacharana, and thereby uh, destroy the the inclination to go outwards, the thought that rises to attend to anything other than ourselves, destroy that then and there in the very place from which it rises. That means even before we are carried away by the thought, we should hold on to self-attentiveness and thereby uh, cut the, uh, the thought at its root. That is, we don't allow the thought to rise and flourish. That's what he means by we need to annihilate them all by vicharana in the very place from which they rise. And he says, then and there, so at that very moment that there's slightest rising of any thought, any movement of our mind away from ourself, at that moment we have to, we have to um, destroy that outward-going movement by holding firmly to self-attentiveness. And it's in this context that he brings in the subject of Vairagya. But in the next sentence, he says, not attending to anything other is Vairagya or Nirasa. Vairagya um, is a word which is it's a it's a word formed from viraga. Viraga means absence of raga. Raga means passion or the desire. Uh, So vairagya is the desirelessness. And he also uses another word here, he says vairagya or nirasa. Nirasa also means, asa means desire, nirasa means um, non-desire or desirelessness. So vairagya and nirasa both mean desirelessness or dispassion, freedom from any uh, inclination to go outwards. But what is is vairagya? He says not attending to anything other than ourself. That is, if we truly have no desire, we will not attend to anything other than ourself. He doesn't say than ourselves here. What he says is uh, anyate na That means, literally means being without attending to what is other. What is other means, what is other than ourself. So the implication is not attending to anything other than ourself is vairagya or nirasa. And then he goes on in the next sentence to say, not leaving or letting go of oneself is jnana. So on one hand, vairagya is not going, not, not allowing our attention to go outwards, and jnana is not letting go of ourself. Um, so he goes on to say, in truth, these two, meaning vairagya and jnana, are just one. That is, to the extent to which we hold on to ourself, we are thereby not... Let, we are not leaving ourselves, we're not letting go of ourselves. So Vairagya uh, B- 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 and Jnana are one. <clears throat> and then he gives an illustration as how Vairagya B- uh, works in practice. He says, just as pearl divers, tying stones to their waists and sinking, pick up pearls that are found at the bottom of the ocean, so each one Sinking within oneself with Vairagya uh, may attain the, the the Atma mutu, That means the the self pearl or pearl of oneself. In other words, what, the, the pearl that is our own real nature. So here he's he's using the the the, the that is the the stones that pearls I was tied to their waist are analogous to Vairagya. If pearl divers don't tie stones to their waist, they won't be able to sink deep enough to get the pearls at the bottom. Likewise, without vairagya, we won't be able to go within deep enough, because vairagya is the is the opposite of the vasana The vasana is a, 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 the inclination to go outwards, uh, to rise up to the surface of the ocean in terms of the analogy of the pearl diver. Um the Vairagya is the freedom from that inclination to go outwards. So, without that, without firm Vairagya, we will not be able to sink deep enough into the heart to know what we actually are or to obtain the, the, the pearl of oneself or the self pearl, as he uh, says here. So, this is how Vairagya is applied in practice. Vairagya means not attending to anything other than ourselves. That's the same as not letting go of ourselves. So we need to hold on to ourselves so firmly, and we need the Vairagya. If we don't have the Vairagya, our Vasanas will keep on taking us outwards. So we need to have steadfast Vairagya in order to go sufficiently deep within. So, how can we cultivate that Vairagya? Only by patient and persistent practice of self-investigation. That is, the more we investigate ourselves, the more the love to go within will increase. That is the uh, satvasana or swatma bhakti, and correspondingly, the visheya vasanas will be weakened. So the state in which the visheya vasanas are weakened is what is called vairagya. So that vairagya is essential in order to go deep within. Um, And we will we will have viragya, freedom from desire to attend to anything else, only to the extent to which we have love to hold on to ourselves. So then he goes on to uh, to, he concludes this paragraph with a a few more sentences. He says in the next sentence, this is a very very important sentence. It's a strong assurance, and he's making clear here that this is all we need to do. He says. If one clings fast to uninterrupted swarupa smarana, until one obtains swarupa, that alone is sufficient. Until one obtains swarupa means until we subside and merge forever back into our source, which is our swarupa. That is, swarupa is both our source, the source from which we've risen, and our substance, what we actually are. Our aim is to to lose ourselves completely in Swarupa. So that's what he refers to, describes here as obtaining Swarupa. It's not that we as ego are going to obtain Swarupa. We as ego lose ourselves in Swarupa. That is what is called the attainment of Swarupa. And what is the means? He says, uninterrupted Swarupa Smarana. Swarupa, as I say, means our own real nature. In other words, that fundamental awareness I am, and smarana means remembrance. So we should never allow ourselves to forget that that is, I am, the pure awareness I am is ever shiny in our heart. But generally, because we are so interested in other things, our mind is going out under the sway of its vishayabhasanas in the form of the interest in other things. That, that is, the Vasanas manifest in the form of our... our Interest in anything other than ourself. Um so generally we are overlooking this fundamental awareness I am. We're paying it, we're paying no attention to it because we're more interested in other things. Um so what he means by Swarupasmarana is never is uh self-remembrance. That's always remembering ourselves, always remembering our being, our real nature, what we actually are. That's not doesn't mean remembering I am i am not this body i am pure awareness just remembering that fundamental awareness i am which is ever shining in our heart without allowing any other thoughts to arise so this this is actually something very very simple bhagavan is asking you to do simply to continue remembering ourselves or attending to ourselves being self attentive or that's all that is required and we need to do that uninterruptedly. Of course, none of us succeed in doing it uninterruptedly, but that's what we need to aim for. And if we do that, that alone is sufficient. No other yogas or um, spiritual practices of any kind whatsoever are necessary, because this alone is sufficient. No other spiritual uh, practice is sufficient because n- nothing can destroy ego except this simple practice of self attentiveness. So this is both um, this is the, this is the only this is both necessary and sufficient. The fact that it's sufficient means it's the only thing that is necessary. But think that the fact that he said this alone is sufficient means nothing else is necessary, or oh, oh, nothing else is sufficient. This is the only thing that is sufficient, and the only therefore the only thing that is necessary. We need not do anything else. We just need to try more and more to attend to self-attentiveness. If we think, oh, I need to do some japa, I need to do some dhyana, I need to do this, I need to do that, that is allowing our mind to go outwards again. We should should not allow the mind to go outwards. We should constantly try to hold on to that self-remembrance. That's all that matters. What we do outwardly, is irrelevant, so long as we're holding on to self, uh, the Swarupas Marana. And then he goes on to give a very nice analogy. So long as enemies are within the fortress, they will be continuously coming out from it. If one con- is continuously cutting down all of them, as and when they come, the fortress will be captured. So what does he imply by this analogy? That is, uh, The enemies are our vishaya vasanas the fortress is our own heart. Uh, So these vasanas are in our heart, but constantly coming out. And so long as they're coming out, we need to cut them down as and when they come. So how can we cut them down? By not allowing ourselves to be swayed by them. By holding firmly to self-attentiveness, we are thereby not allowing our attention to be diverted away from ourselves towards anything else. This is what he means by cutting down the enemy. So um, we can can, uh, analyze this uh, analogy a bit more closely. If a fortress has been captured by some enemy troops, but if they have no food or water inside that fortress, they keep, they, it will be necessary for them to keep on coming out in order to forage for food and water. The vasanas are like that. Vasanas cannot survive on their own. They need to be constantly dragging our attention outwards and, uh, for us to feed on vishayas, and that is what is strengthening the vishayabhasanas. So um, this this analogy implies that vishayabhasanas, they're the enemy in the fortress with no food or water. If they had lots of food and water in the fortress, there would be no need for them to come out. But in this case, they have no food and water because the food and water for vishayabhasanas is the outward going movement of our mind so without going outward they cannot get food and water so bhagavan compares them to enemies who are hiding within the fortress and who are forced to come out because they need for uh, food and water and if we hold on to self attentiveness we will be thereby cutting them down cutting down all of them as and when they come and if we do so, if we do so continuously, the fortress will be captured. That means eventually we will capture the fortress. Eventually, um, the vasanas will all be destroyed and we will merge back into Swarupa, the fortress, our own real nature. And that is what he describes here as capturing the fortress. So the point here is why he brings in the idea of vairagya here. It is the nature of ego to be constantly going outwards under the sway of its vasanas, mm-hmm. uh, Having the steadfastness and the freedom from desire to avoid going outwards, that is vairagya. And in order to avoid going outwards, we need to hold firmly to ourselves without letting go. And holding to ourselves without letting go is jnana. So jnana and vairagya are one and the same in this sense. Mm-hmm so um would you like to ask any question you had some question about um Do you, would you like to ask about in this connection Ernesto
2: um but, uh, what I, I I wrote no uh, for, yeah. for for them for, for us is um to speak uh, about um uh, in the knowing the principal core, no that is yeah when you renounce to attend yourself at this body, no? That yes. is, is the is the, the core, no the principal. Yeah. Yes. It's more in the line uh, of the progress or the process along yes. the the life of the Sadaka. Yes. Uh, when you find different um Vasanas that um uh, are temptations for yes. for us no yes and at what stand is necessary that we choose a simple life uh, in all the orders meanwhile you your purification or your mind are not in the point that uh, express naturally this vairagya, no? I don't know if you guys so well, no?
1: I, I think I understand you.
2: For example, saying. one person that read Bhagavan teachings and read the recommendation, no? Of uh, uh, sadbik food, no?
1: Yeah.
2: But he has uh, desires mm-hmm. uh, with meat, for mm-hmm. example. And he feels that uh, he's, um la- like himself Mm. Uh, in in the sense of what is um important for him yeah. at the moment no yeah uh, try to to be vegan for example mm. when uh, he he don't desire that and he understands intellectually the yeah. the the teachings but he wants to go to go uh, progress Progressive, uh, mm. when he real feel that he he don't want to eat uh, mm. meat, then don't eat meat. No, on uh, you know some some people want to uh, buy clothes very um, spiritually. No, mm. uh, orange clothes or, or different kinds of. Uh, clothes no uh, but go uh, walking in any any street uh, have uh, needs uh, or desire for other kind of clothes but yeah. it's, it's not uh, some cooked in, in him this these vassanats are very powerful but he maybe reads Bhagavan teachings and say no I must to be simple I must to don't. Uh, Bhagavan recommends don't eat uh, uh, meat. Um, Bhagavan's recommend any. Mm. In this way, no. Uh, at what point or at what stand we must to develop the yamas and niyamas in relation with that? Yeah. When your point in your mind, your point of consciousness, your Level of maturity are not at this level to do that.
1: Um, that is a desire. You, you one desire you mentioned is the desire to eat meat. That is a very gross desire. That is the baseness of a subtle seeds. The first manifestation of the. Uh, of these seeds they first rise in the form of likes and dislikes and the likes and dislikes develop into desires and so on and so forth it gets stronger and stronger so if we cannot even give up desire for eating meat and it should be obvious to anyone with any clarity of mind but eating meat is morally unjustified because just for the taste of some taste that we happen to like, we want to kill some other living being. How can that ever be morally justified? And we, we—it's not like we are living in circumstances nowadays where um, we have no choice but to eat meat. But maybe if we were, um, if we were living in, uh, say, the, the Arctic regions. There may be no access to any other uh, types of food except the, the fish and the um, walruses or whatever else the people there hunt. So um, we are not in that position. We're all in a position nowadays where fruits and ve- vegetables and vegan food is available. So if we 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 can't say we have no choice but to eat meat. But eating meat is a choice. So if we can't even, if we don't even have sufficient vairagya to, uh, uh, to give up eating meat, how will we have sufficient vairagya to hold on to self-attentiveness? So they, this is why Bhagavan emphasizes the need for vairagya. It has to be not just the vairagya to desist from that de- this desire or that desire. If vairagya, as Bhagavan says, means not attending to anything other than ourselves. That is vairagya in its truest and most perfect form. Of course, Vera, Vera, we, we may not have perfect vairagya now. We may not be able to hold on to self-attentiveness so firmly, but we never attend to anything else. So, but we, that is what we need to be working towards. So if, if we're serious about working towards these, all the grosser desires will naturally be curbed. we we will naturally not feel inclined to eat meat, not feel inclined to do harm to any living being. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) the reason Bhagavan talks about uh, vāsanas, I mean, in many... spiritual teachers, they talk about desires, they talk about thoughts. But what what is the root cause of these desires and thoughts? What are the desires and thoughts in their seed form? That is the Vishayabhasana. That's why Bhagavan is putting emphasis on the Vishayabhasanas. So long as we have Vishayabhasanas, they will inevitably, under the sway of those Vishayabhasanas, will inevitably be going outwards and thinking this or that and desiring this and that and everything. So it's a very, as one says, the very place but they rise, that should be our aim. So if we want to follow this path, we need to be very serious about it. That doesn't mean we should be discouraged if we find that we are not serious enough. None of us are serious enough. We will all be... Um, uh, We we will all notice that we don't have sufficient bhakti, we don't have sufficient vairagya, but we need to be willing to work towards that, to cultivating that vairagya by trying as much as possible to hold on to self-attentiveness. So all these these other things are problems. all problems arise only when we allow our attention to go outwards. We allow our attention to go outwards, and we say to ourselves, oh, I still have this desire, I still have that desire, I'm a sinner, I still like to do this bad action or that bad action, I still like to eat meat, or whatever it may be. This is false identification. Why should we identify ourselves as, I like to eat meat? That Do we like to eat meat in sleep? No, even even the, the 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 most the the worst carnivore has no desire whatsoever to eat meat in sleep. So this desire to eat meat or desire for anything whatsoever is not natural to us. So we are trying to return to our own real nature. So we are trying to separate ourselves from this person who has these desires. <laughs> Many of the grosser desires are, um, are um, culturally influenced. If we are born in a society that is a predominantly meat-eating society, in a family that is a meat-eating family, we are likely to grow up eating meat. Um, you know, or if we grow up in a vegetarian family, we're likely to grow up without eating meat. But Whether we, that is, as I say, the meat is, the desire for meat is a gross desire. Whatever desires we have, they all start from a subtle level of vishaya vasana. So it's at that level that we need to tackle them. So um, if we we happen to have been brought up in a meat-eating culture, and we come to this spiritual path, a little bit of reflection should make us understand that eating meat is not appropriate. It's not morally justified. And it's also not good for our. If we want to, yes. if we're serious about trying to go within, we need to have a sattvic mind. And eating meat, meat is a, not only meat, but many types of food, by their very nature, they are either tamasic or rajasic such foods will not help us to go within. So we need to give up all those foods and other substances that are tamasic, that is have a dulling effect or clouding effect on the mind, and those foods that are rajasic, that make the mind restless, active and everything. So that's why Bhagavan says of all the Of all the nyamas, that's all the restrictions, the the best of all is mitta, sattvika, ahara, nyama. That means the restriction of taking only sattvic food in moderate quantities. What's he mean by sattvic food? Those foods that will be conducive to a sattvic state of mind. Any non-vegetarian food, any meat or eggs or fish or any of it, these are not conducive to a satvic state of mind, They're conducive to a tamasic and/or rajasic state of mind, and it's not only meat and things, alcohol, so many other things, tobacco. All these things are not satvic in nature. So we should, we should, if we are serious about going within, we should, we should give up all these things.
2: But Michael, and, the, the idea that uh, the point you know, that mm-hmm. I want to share. Uh, with you today, you know, uh, mm. uh, for us, it's not these that we are accord. No, we are okay yeah. in that. No, uh, some people come so arrive to that ba'ita mm. and feel that uh, all of that are rules. They understand when we explain, mm. it's, it's for your health and it's for ethic. Uh, yeah. If yeah, uh, yeah. I, re- I remember some article no, that you wrote, when say mm-hmm. if a, a very big chicken appear in your dreams, you remember, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, and begin to uh, picking your legs, yeah, no, yeah, you yeah, like. Yeah. Okay, the people understand this, but they, some people, I I thought that more than uh, maybe the the most of the people think, um, are not in this point of. On this level of uh, maturity, and feel that uh, all these yamas and niyamas are they feel or they, they see as rules. And the the point of uh, how I uh, take this topic to speak uh, uh, with you today is, mm. it's not more important. Yes. Uh, to push to this student of this sadaka to be uh, congruent uh, and and look himself and what are the consequences and the implications of what they do yes before to take a rule to take a recommendation because bhagavan said because ethic uh, the ethic or, or any more things
1: um We know if we jump off a tall building, we're going to hurt ourselves. So we naturally avoid jumping off tall buildings. Do we feel, oh, it's an unnecessary, I don't like this rule, that you shouldn't jump off tall buildings, so let me jump off a tall building. No, we we know that rule is for, I mean, if you want to call it a rule, it's a rule for our own good. It's a, That is, it's a law of nature, but if you jump up a tall building, gravity will pull you down and you will be hurt. So, we—we we, uh, rules are there to avoid harm. So, when, when we are advised not to eat meat, not to drink alcohol, not to smoke tobacco and all these things, because doing so will harm ourselves, we if we if we're a little bit wise, we all think, "Yes, that's right. Why should I do these things that are obviously going to harm myself? That is in 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 Advaita, in the classical Advaita, they begin by saying, "What are the qualifications for coming to this path?" And the first qualification is Nitya and Nitya Vastu Viveka. That means the ability to distinguish what is permanent from what is impermanent. What is permanent is only I, the pure I. Everything else, including the person we take ourselves to be, is impermanent. Why is that said first? Because if we don't have that discrimination, we will not get the next qualification, which is vairagya. That is, vairagya naturally follows on from discrimination. If we, we, I mean, the, the most important discrimination is distinguishing What is permanent from what is impermanent? If we have that ability to distinguish what is impermanent from what is permanent, sorry, what is permanent from what is impermanent, we will also be able to distinguish so many other things. We'll be able to distinguish um, beneficial food from non beneficial food, that these things will be clear to us. So it'll be clear to us, but if we eat meat, it's not going to be it's not going to be conducive to a favorable state of mind for turning within. This will be clear to us. So the, the, the vairagya, sorry, the vivaka will automatically lead to vairagya if it is true, vivaka. And vivaka literally vivaka means discernment or discrimination or the ability to distinguish one thing from another. But that what, where that bibaka comes from, it comes from an inner clarity. So if we have that inner clarity, we will, we will clearly see the difference in what is permanent and what is impermanent. We will also clearly see that certain, taking certain types of food has a certain type of effect on the mind, and that effect on the mind is not conducive to going within. So it, it will be just clear to us if if we really understand this, if it's really clear to us, if we really see it clearly, we will not feel it's a rule or a restriction. Not eating meat, yes. we will feel it's a natural thing to if, do. It's if you opposite.
2: see if you see clearly, uh, is that no? But that's, that's some, what some... this
1: path is all about. That's what yes. clarity is. Yes. What we're seeking on this path. Yes, we yes. are seeking the ultimate clarity, the clarity of pure awareness.
2: Absolutely, uh, but some people say yes. I don't see it clearly. I don't want to lie to me yeah. because I know what you play me, but I don't feel in myself um, now. Yeah, and I, I, I understand maybe that this this is a result of a maturation of a purification in my mind that I don't want to eat uh, meat or or others things. No, mm. uh, for for this is the point. No, that I I I want to to. T- uh, the to pools today, no?
1: Yeah.
2: If, Th- if, if one person is not maturity for that, because mm. he don't see, he yeah. wants to see, but he's not, cle- not see clearly that. Mm. And he don't want to be like, to, to lie himself, uh, trying to uh, eat veget- vegetarian or vegan or similar. Mm. No?
1: Yeah. There is a story in Mahabharata, where that is the evil prince, his court is Duryodhana. he's the cousin of the pandavas, he's the one who's stolen their kingdom, so he's the, he's the villain of the story at one point in the story, Krishna advises him, what you're doing is not good, and he gives him some advice, and Duryodhana's um reply to Krishna is, "Don't talk to me about this right or wrong. I know what is right, and I know what is wrong. But I have no inclination to do what is right, and I'm only inclined to do what is wrong. Bhagavan quotes that verse in um in in talks. That is, there's an incident in talks where some visitor has come and is was sitting on the hill in the hot sun of the day, meditating. And Bhagavan saw him once or twice and thought this person is putting on a show. But Bhagavan just kept quiet at first. But one evening, um, when the squirrels came into Bhagavan's hall, this person who had been sitting on the hot rocks in the sun during the daytime, he was sitting there in the hall. And he said to Bhagavan, Oh, the squirrels must be thirsty. Yeah, you should give them some water. Bhagavan said, You must be thirsty because you've been sitting on the rocks in in the hot sun. Um, uh, so you are uh, you are assuming that the squirrels are feeling what you're. Fi- if you're feeling thirsty, drink water. <laughs> uh, something like that, Bowun says. And then that, and Bhagavan said, "I've been observing you for some days. I haven't said anything now, but this is not good. This type of whatever. This sort of show of sitting on the ho- rocks in the hot sun. But one knew this is a. It's that type of action is arising out of egotism." and then this person replied to bhagavan oh I, i'm not doing anything of my own will i do whatever i do is uh, is driven by bhagavan he said then bhagavan said enough of this nonsense and then he quotes this verse what drotana was saying oh bhagavan said also very nicely oh you're a great um, uh, lofty soul you're doing only what bhagavan is making you do we're all ordinary people we do according to our will so Bhagavan, so, uh, that is, if we are serious in the spiritual path, the inclination to eat meat and other grosser desires will naturally fall or slip off us. If it doesn't slip off us, that means we're not yet ready for this path. Because if we cannot even, if we don't even have sufficient discrimination to see and to see why we shouldn't eat meat. It's one thing to understand it at the the conceptual level, but to really see it, to really see that it is wrong to eat meat. If we can't see that, how will we be able to see the subtlest of all things, the light of pure awareness that is ever shining in our heart. Of course, we all are constantly aware of that light, but we—it's now seemingly clouded because of a false identification. I am this body, so we are looking within in order to see clearly what we are. We are seeking clarity. By once we in one of the verses in our natural Navamani Malaya, I think the third. Or fourth verse, but, uh, third verse, I think, Bhagavan says, um, taral Nadi, that if those who are seeking clarity, so this path is a path for those who are seeking clarity. If we, if we don't even have uh, the clarity to understand that eating meat is wrong, if we don't even have sufficient vairagya to give up eating meat, how will we? How will we?" be able to turn within and see what we actually are so if someone if someone says i uh, i feel this is an unnecessary rule it doesn't it doesn't come naturally to me on something that's fine let them do whatever they want to do but they're not yet ready for this path if they want to come to this path they they need to see clearly what is true what is false what is right what is wrong it's only when the mind is purified to a certain extent but we will be even be willing to turn within if we're not even willing to give up eating meat we certainly won't be willing to give up all thoughts and turn within
2: when i when i u- usually advise to these um uh, uh, this kind of uh, arguments no yeah is if you have not a, a minimum of confidence in these teachings yeah to accept uh, some indications, yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe you are going around and round, and making uh, rounds all the time. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, there are some, uh, you, some aspects, some indications, some rules, yeah. but no seen as imposition. No uh, yeah, it
1: doesn't seem are, like a rule or an imposition. Exactly. It's
2: indication, indication. Yeah, 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 yeah This yeah. is what. Uh, function this is yeah. how function this for your freedom for your yeah. freedom of all the, of your desires for yeah, the yeah. real vairagya no? yeah okay thank you for for your uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. commentaries michael
1: so the thing is this path is not for everyone that is that is not to say uh, when i say this path is not for everyone not everyone is yet ready for this path in order to be ready for this path, we need to have a liking to go within. We, in order to have that liking, we have to have at least a certain degree of vairagya. We may not have very great vairagya, we may not have very great bhakti, but at least we need a certain amount of bhakti, a certain amount of vairagya, or we won't even attempt begin attempting to turn within. So this shouldn't put off anyone who wants to turn within, or oh, maybe I'm not fit for this path. No, we're, we're all potentially fit for this path, but our fitness is to the extent to which we really have loved to follow this path. If we have loved to follow this path, then we are fit for this path. If we find we have no liking, even to begin trying to, even to adopt the simplest of um, restrictions, Bhagavan didn't emphasize the need for restrictions or anything, but the one restriction which he said, this is the best of all restrictions, it is mitta, satvika ahara, nyama, this restriction of eating only moderate food, sorry, only satvik food in moderate quantities. This is the simplest of all restrictions. But if we don't even have inclination to follow this restriction, how will we have the inclination to turn within? But everyone, though not everyone is ready for this path now, ultimately we all have to come to this path sooner or later. So we are all going through different stages of spiritual development. This is why there are so many different religions, so many different beliefs, so many different practices, so many different philosophies, so many different ways of life. These are to suit people at different levels of spiritual development.
2: Because you know that there are so many people that want uh, to be in the more exclusive uh, path, in the more exclusive car, in the more exclusive house. And when the, uh, some people that have um, um, uh, interest in, in the spiritual paths and suddenly discover Vagabond teachings, and all the people say that uh, that is the more pure, no? Too many people want to be in that and, and understand some things, but his mind and his purity is not in this. And have inclination for atmavichara maybe a little, only maybe a yeah. little. And because it's a little, yeah. and they yeah, won't, yeah. don't want to renounce to yeah. these uh, um, desires. Yeah. They never uh, go a new step because it's yeah. not for this uh, path, no? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The, uh-huh. This path is for those who are, that is, Bhagavan has put it very simply in verse 26 of Uluru Naptu. Ahande If ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. Ahande indru If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. yavamam. Ego itself is everything. Adalal yadu idu nadale ovadal the Therefore, know that investigating what this is, is giving up everything. So uh, we will not be inclined to begin investigating ourselves until we are at least beginning to become willing to uh, give up everything. Of course, none of us are yet willing to give up everything, but at least we we recognize that we need to become willing to give up everything, and we are working towards that by practicing self-investigation. But this path is only ultimately we can succeed in this path only when we are willing to give up not only everything else, give up ourselves, uh, everything that we now take ourselves to be. We need to give up. So, but what remains uh, is uh, alone is what we actually are. So everything needs to be given up on this path. This is the ultimate path of renunciation. Bhagavan never asked us to change our outward mode of life. He never asked us to take sannyasa, to shave our head, to grow a long beard or any of these things, because these are all outward things. What is necessary is to turn within and hold on to self-attentiveness. In order to hold on firmly to self-attentiveness, we need to give up the inclination to go outwards. We need to give up these vishaya vasanas So this is a, this is a, a very... Deep, very subtle, and a very serious path we can't there's no um okay, none of us are serious enough yet, but at least we need to be serious about trying to become serious on this path because ultimately this is all that matters. we need to be willing to give up everything for this if we If we don't give up everything, then we are remaining in bondage hmm. Nothing is binding us. We are binding ourselves by holding on to other things. So unless we are willing to give up everything, we cannot hmm. succeed in this path. So we need, to, we need to be realistic. First thing we need to be realistic, how serious this path is. We also need to be realistic about ourselves. Yes, okay, this is a very serious path. I'm not yet serious enough, but at least I can make, make a start because it's only by following this path, that we will become sufficiently serious.
2: Hmm. Okay, Jose, go ahead.
3: A couple of uh, comments on that. I'm going to ask this question on behalf of all of those at home watching this video, asking, um, yeah, but what if if your parapter is to eat me?" And um, so I'm going to leave it at that so that you can answer that. And they, I think this is a problem when we go into action, like when we're going to do's and don'ts, as logical as they may be, then immediately the karma um, question comes in and I'll let you answer that. Um, and because, you know, we don't want to jump off a building, but if it's your prarabdha, you're going to jump off the building. So <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'll leave it at that. And yeah, so what's your comment there?
1: Okay, one thing to understand is firstly, the um, the prarabdha is tailor-made to suit us. So according to the vasanas that we have, the prarabdha will be tailor-made. So if we say, it's my prarabdha to eat meat, That is because we have certain, that that prarabdha has been allotted to us to suit that inclination we have to eat meat. Many of us, particularly those of us who were born outside India, most of us were born in non-vegetarian families. Most of us, when we were young, we ate meat. Um, That was was our prarabdha. At that time, we didn't know anything better. But having come to Bhagavan's path, we now are given the, um, the the clarity to understand that meeting, eating meat is wrong, so that prarabdha has come to an end. It's not, but that, that is the prarabdha to eat meat was there. Be- to because in each life we are developing in a certain way, so maybe in previous lives we still had strong inclination to eat meat, so we were born in such families, but, but where we eat we ate meat, but when we come to this path, when we stop eating meat, we can clearly see it's totally unnecessary. And the the, inc- the inclination to eat meat will completely drop off us if we once we come to Bhagavan's path. That's one thing. Another thing is to say it is my prarabdha to do this is very simplistic because we can say. Everything that's happened in the past, that is Pararabdha. We don't know what's... Just because I ate meat yesterday doesn't mean I have to eat meat tomorrow. I can give up eating meat here and now. And see if Pararabdha is going to force me to eat meat. Chances are it won't. If we really want to drop eating meat, because we all live in circumstances where... um, uh, Uh, a vegetarian or vegan food is plentifully available. So we can all, if we really want to, we can live a, a vegan or a vegetarian lifestyle. To say, oh, it's my prarabdha, that is just making excuses. Another thing about this prarabdha, prarabdha is the fruit of our past karmas. The fruit means it is what we are to experience. Prarabdha, many people think Prarabdha determines everything that we do. That is not the case. What Bhagavan says in the note he wrote to his mother in this connection, he in the first sentence he says, "Abarabha prarabdha prakaram adakanavan, karnavan anga That means, in accordance with the prarabdha of each one, he who is for that, being there, there, Will cause to act. What he means by that, it, when he says in a, in accordance with the prarabdha, that means if it's a if our prarabdha is what we are to ex, what we are to experience in this lifetime, what is given to us to experience in this lifetime, in order to experience that prarabdha, certain actions are necessary on our part. So those actions that are necessary. For us to experience our prarabdha, those actions will be made to do by God. But at the same time, we are also constantly acting under the sway of our bhishma vasanas. So we people say, "Oh, then how do we know which action is we made to do by God, which action we made to do by vasanas?" We can say very simply. The vast majority of the actions we do are actions we're doing under the sway of our Basanas. They may also be actions that God is making us do, but we can't put... Supposing um, it's um, uh, it's my uh, destiny to try and rob the bank and to be caught by the police and to be put in jail. that destiny to uh, rob the bank would not have been given to me if I didn't have a liking to rob the bank. So it may be my destiny to rob the bank, but I'm also doing it with a great desire. So we should not excuse any action saying, oh, it was my destiny. When we go to court, we can't appear in front of a judge and said, um, yes, I, I was the one holding the gun and I shot the... Um, i shot the the bank clerk um uh, but it was my destiny to do it no we why did we shoot the bank clerk because we wanted to shoot the bank clerk it was our own volition we may not have planned to shoot, shoot the bank clerk but when when things suddenly got started going out of control we chose to shoot the bank clerk so we are responsible for that, even if it is also our prarabdha. Even if it, it, that is also an action we're made to do in accordance with our prarabdha, we also doing it under the sway of our basanas. So, whatever actions of mind, speech, and body we need to do in accordance with prarabdha, we will be made to do. That we so such actions we need not be concerned about. What we need to be concerned about is not acting under the sway of our share of how can we avoid being uh, uh, avoid acting under the sway of our vishaya Every movement of our mind, every movement of our attention away from ourselves towards anything else, is under the sway of vishaya So, if we allow ourselves to be swayed un, uh, by vishaya that will lead to thoughts. Thoughts lead to words. Word uh, thoughts and words lead to actions. So. Um, the, the, all, all agamya, that is, actions that we do under the sway of our besheya-bhasanas, we do agamya to the extent to which we are not self-attentive. To the extent to which we are self-attentive, we are thereby uh, refraining from being, uh, allowing ourselves to be swayed by the besheya-bhasanas, therefore we will not be doing the actions. And if we really are holding firmly to self-attentiveness, even if we it's our destiny to do a crime and to be put in jail, we'll be least, even if our destiny to be put in hell, we'll be least bothered about it because we're constantly holding on to Bhagavan in our heart. So we can't use that, is the, as Krishna says in the Gita, the secret of karmas can be known only to is known only to me. No one else can know it. That means God alone can understand the, the, the secret of karma. What Bhagavan taught us are some general principles. We need to understand those general principles. That is, whatever is to happen in our life is already determined by prarabdha. So it's going to happen. We need not worry about it. But I've got, I've got a wife, I've got six children, I've got ugly uh, parents, I've got, I'm the only breadwinning, I've got so many responsibilities. Uh, if we if we think like that, yes, or if you are to be the breadwinner, if you are to earn for to support your elderly parents, your wife, your children, all these things, you will be made to do those actions. So you need not worry about it. What we need to do is renounce the rising of ego. When we rise as ego, we come under the sway of vishaya vhasanas, and under the sway of vishaya vhasanas, we inevitably do agamya by mind, speech, and body. That's unavoidable. So long as we allow our attention to go outwards, the very movement of our attention outwards is agamya. So we need to turn within more and more and more. So Bhagavan taught us this law of karma to make us understand we need not be concerned about our outward life. It's all being taken care of. He didn't teach us this so that we should break our head trying to decide which action is uh, gamya, which action is uh, prarabdha. That is... That is allowing our mind to go outwards. That's missing the whole point. The whole point of what Bhagavan taught us is to help us to turn our mind within by making us understand whatever whatever is to happen is going to happen. Whatever is not going to happen is not going to happen. So we need not that in terms of external things, that people miss it. Another wrong interpretation people mean, oh, if everything is predetermined, then my self-realization is predetermined. Then I leave it to Pararabdha. No. Self-realization or liberation can never be the fruit of prarabdha. Prarabdha is the fruit of actions. Actions are finite and the fruit of actions are finite. And as Bhagavan says, the fruit of action will pass away. When you experience it, it passes away. So, uh, liberation is not the fruit of any action. It cannot be. As Bhagavan says in verse 2 of Upadesundiya, action does not give liberation. And in the Sanskrit version, he says action obstructs liberation. So it is not up to our prarabdha whether we get liberation or not. It depends on our love. As Bhagavan said, bhakti is the mother of, la- of jnana. So it depends how much love we have to turn within. The love we have to turn within is bhakti. To the extent to which we have bhakti, we will also have vairagya. Bhakti and vairagya are inseparable. The more we love to turn within, the less desire we will have to go outward. So, bhakti and vairagya go hand in hand. So, without bhakti and vairagya, we will not go within. So, what is important is to cultivate that love to go within. That has nothing to do with uh, prarabdha. It has nothing to do with any action. We can cultivate the love to turn within only by trying to turn within. The more we turn within, the more that love will grow. The more the love grows, the more the varagia will grow along with it. Has that adequately answered what the point you raised, Jose? Or I, I think it does. I think it does. Yeah, I think it's yeah.
3: very clear. So it's just is just predicated on the ego. Yeah, yeah. On ego itself. Yeah. Um, can, yeah, see, Ultimately, we that.
1: should not be... Con- what Bhagavan taught us about karma, the law of karma, is to make us understand we sh- need not concern ourselves about karma. Karma means doing. What we are con- And the fruit of karma is experiencing. We are to give up both doing and experiencing by turning within and holding on to
3: ourselves. I guess it's Ernesto's point, and I'm just going to try to, um, try to see if I understood him as well. I think he wants or uh, what he means is to which degree is a preliminary viragya necessary before doing self-investigation.
1: Obviously, a certain degree is necessary. That, that that's that's why in classical Advaita they begin the first qualification is nitya nitya vasu Viveka. First, we we need to have at least a, a minimum ex, uh, clarity to see the distinction between what is re- permanent and what is impermanent. Because in this self investigation, what we are investigating is what is permanent, namely our own being. Everything else is impermanent. So that that at least a certain degree of vivaka is absolutely essential, because that vivaka is the tool we are using to go within. Without distinguishing what is permanent from what is impermanent, we, 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 we can't distinguish ourselves from anything else. So, that is necessary. The, to the extent to which we have vivaka, we will automatically have vairagya. And without Veragia, we won't even begin turning within. So a certain minimum amount. Is, it's not that we should have perfect Vivaka, perfect Veragia. None of us have that. <laughs> the the Viveca and Veragia of all of us is imperfect. But we need to have at least a, a minimum amount to start on this path. If we don't have a minimum amount, we won't start on this path. Quite simple.
2: But our different, um, uh, José and Michael, are are different the requirements of the traditional vaita, Mm. respect uh, what uh, you need to do or these uh, yamas and yamas, respect the focus of Bhagavan's teachings. Um, Because Bhagavan, when the people comes comes to him and say, I want to do japa, I want to do some yogi practices or all of that, he knows perfectly that uh, what person need to pass for that yeah. but except um uh, uh satvic food i think he don't um he don't say that uh, what are these uh, requirements that uh, we need uh, to um, to develop uh, before to are very interesting in vichara no yes
1: that is bhagavan didn't Talk much about niyama, yamas and yamas, because if we if we didn't have these yamas and yamas, we wouldn't be inclined to come to this path. Bhagavan even didn't talk about the the, the he didn't talk much about the what is said him um, in classical Advaita about the need for uh, viveka vairagya, Then the, the six. Um, uh, um, Samadama, uh, I don't know. I've gotten all the list, and then finally Mukshutva. Bhagavan didn't talk much about these things because if we are serious about following this path, we must already have those. So Bhagavan didn't dwell much on those sort of things. Bhagavan just dwelled on. B- Bhagavan was trying to make us see, is that whether our mind is in a low state or a high state. The one thing that is always shining clearly is I am. This is what he implies in one verse in um, in Aksharomla. I've gotten the number now. Kume Lingam. It's probably about verse twenty or so. Eighteen, verse eighteen. Kume Lingam. Kume Lingam means above. Uh, that literally it means gem of light that uh, shines above, below and everywhere. But of course it doesn't, I mean, we can take it to mean gem of light that shown above, below and everywhere, but it's actually intended in a metaphorical sense. Above, below and everywhere it means in all states of mind. Whether we're in a lofty state of mind, a purified state of mind, or a very low state of mind, even in the worst sinner, Bhagavan is always shining in the heart as I am. So the prayer there is, "Gem of light that shines in me in all states of mind, above below. I mean, when a lofty state of mind, low state of mind, in all states of mind, you the you remove my loneliness. That is the prayer. So." We, we need to understand that, that what Bhagavan was trying to make us all see was that that light is shining in the heart of all of us, whatever be our state of mind. That's why he said, however great a sinner one may be, if one would give up the thought, instead of lamenting, oh, I'm a sinner, how can I be saved? If one would give up that thought that one is a sinner and hold on steadfastly to self-attentiveness, one will surely be saved. So Bhagavan... Bhagavan clearly saw this path is open to everyone, but we must be obviously must be willing. He, that is why he opened this path to us all was to was to enable us to see, yes, this is the only sensible way of going. turning back within is the only sensible thing to do, the only wise thing to do. And anyone can turn within. But we need the liking to turn within. The problem is most of us don't have that liking. We don't even want to have the liking. We want to continue going outwards. Bhagavan will let us, uh, if you want to continue doing chapa, if you want to continue doing Jana, okay, do. If you want to continue running after material things and everything, okay, do. It's up to you. But if we come to Bhagavan and if we ask him, he will try to make us see that seeking anything outside ourselves is not a recipe for happiness. It's a recipe for misery. But to be, when the, when the mind rises, the world appears. When the world appears, the mind experiences misery, he says. So why should we, 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 if we are wise, we'll pay close attention to what Bhagavan has taught us and we will try to put it into practice. However weak our Viveka and Vairagya may be, I mean, if if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll all agree that our our own Viveka and Vairagya is hopelessly inadequate. But we shouldn't be disheartened by the inadequacy of our uh, Viveka and Vairagya because Bhagavan has told us if we persevere in trying to follow this, we will certainly be saved. So, in spite of our Lack of adequate um, vivaka and vairagya, let us try to follow this path to the extent possible. If we do so, the vivaka and vairagya will come running after us. But if you think, oh, I don't have Viveka and vairagya, therefore I can't follow this path, we are setting up an impediment for ourselves. Bhagavan said, thinking this is difficult is itself the greatest impediment in this path. This is not. This is the easiest of all paths. Why it seems difficult is our lack of willingness. So how can we get that willingness? Only by trying. Only by trying to turn with him more and more and more. That is why the practice is all important. Because it's only by this practice that we will gain the the necessary vivaka, varagya, bhakti and so on.
3: The thing is that it's the ego that has to want it. Yeah,
1: of course it's ego, because our real nature doesn't want any. Our real nature is as it is. So it's only as ego, but we face all these problems. It's as ego, but we need to have Viveka, we need to have Vairagya, and we need to have Bhakti, otherwise called Mumukshutva, the love for liberation. That love for liberation means the love to subside and to be as we actually are.
3: It makes a lot of sense logically. The thing is,
1: attending to ourselves entails our subsiding. The more we attend to ourselves, the more we subside. The problem is, we are not willing to subside. That is the whole problem. But how can we gain that willingness to subside? Only by trying our best to practice this. So even if we don't, if even if we're not yet willing to subside, we should at least aspire to become willing to subside. And to gain that uh, willingness to subside, the most effective means is this, uh, pre- is to persevere in this practice of self-investigation and self-surrender.
3: Yeah, it, is, it is the ego against the ego. It's yeah, the yeah. ego
1: against itself. Bhagavan Bo- said the whole of the spiritual path is nothing but a battle within our own will. A battle with, on the one hand, uh, um, the sattvasana which is the inclination to go within and on the other hand the vishaya vasana is the inclination to go outward the vishaya vasana is of the nature of ego so from where does that sattvasana come it comes only from grace because grace is ever shining in our heart as our own being so it is grace that sows the seed of sattvasana in our heart we so he's sown that seed we need to Cultivate it by trying more and more to turn within.
3: No. Many people see it as I am versus the ego. I am is not I am versus the ego. It's the no. ego well, versus we, the
1: ego. Bhagavan has described it as the warfare of grace. Grace is, is I am. But it's that is this whole battle happens through us. Because the, I am and ego are not two different things. There's only one thing. The snake and the rope are not two different things. You can't set up a fight between the snake and the rope because they're one and the same thing. Ego is nothing but I am mixed and conflated with adjuncts. So it's 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 the wrong identification which is the problem. So what we need to do is to hold on to I am and thereby let ego dissolve back into its source, which is that same I am.
3: I'm going to ask you a question. The uh, so we I, as I we
1: we as ego need to hold on to ourself as
3: we actually are. I, I saw this question on YouTube, and I'm going to ask it right now before I forget. Can ego identify itself correctly? No. I hope to be remember. no. no. The,
1: that is the very nature of ego is to identify itself with things other itself. Forms. It's not a matter of that is. All we need to do is to shed the false identification. Then our true identity will become clear. What is our true identity? I am I. I am I is what remains when I am this or I am that is removed. So we're not seeking to identify. Some people say we have to identify ourselves with the self. We have to meditate. I am consciousness. I am Brahman. I am the self. No, that is not. That's just a mental activity. So everyone yes. say give up all identification hold on to what you actually are hold on to your being for false identification will uh, will drop off and your real identity which is just your own being i
3: am that alone will remain So this is why I think that when, before coming to this path, certain process of purification is necessary, but after a certain point, it's just a waste of time because after you have the desire to investigate yourself to go with that, I mean, and trying to polish this ego to turn into a good ego is just a waste of time.
1: Investigating ourselves is the most effective means to purify the mind. Bhagavan has made that very, very clear if we understand what he's saying in Upadesha, India. In verse three, he says, In verse two, he says, Action cannot give liberation. In verse three, he says, But action done without desire, that in Nishkamiya Kama, action done without desire for the fruit, done for the love of God or done for God, that means implies done for the love of God, will purify the mind and show the way to liberation. Then what he talks about in the next four verses are about these actions that we can do without desire and for the love of God. So in the next verse he says, this is certain, puja, japa, and dhyana are actions of mind, speech, and body and each is superior to the previous one, that is better than, than puja, More when he says better or superior, what he means is more effective in purifying the mind. So rather than nishkamiya puja, nishkamiya japa is effective in purifying the mind. Rather than nishkamiya japa, nishkamiya dhyana is effective. Then he deals with what each of these in the next three verses in verses uh, five, six, and seven. And then in verse eight, he says, rather than anya bhava, that means rather than meditating on God as something other than ourselves. Anya bhava, anya means what is other. Bhava in this context means meditation. So rather than meditation on what is other, that in the context implies rather than meditating on God as something other than ourself. Ananya bhava, that is meditation on what is not other, with the understanding he is I, that is natinum uttamam, that is the best among all. So in the context that means, this meditating on ananya bhava, meditating on what is not other mean, meditating on ourself alone, that, Bhagavan says, is the, is the best among all. That means it's the most effective means of purifying the mind. So all other means to purify the mind become redundant once we come to this path they have served their purpose in bringing us giving us sufficient purity to come to this path. in verse 3 he said the nishkarmiya karma done for god will purify the mind and show the way to liberation what do you mean by show the way to liberation that purified mind will give us the clarity to understand what is the way to liberation? The way to liberation is not any action, not even nishkarmiya karma. Nishkarmiya karma it's useful to, to, to purify the mind, but the way to liberation is not doing, but only being. So how to be? Only by attending to ourself. When we attend to ourselves, we thereby subside. So, in the next verse, verse nine of Rupa Bhagavan says, "By the strength of, by Bhava Balam, that's by the strength of, of meditation. That means by the strength implies in the context by the strength of Vyananya Bhava, in other words, by the strength of self attentiveness, being in Sat Bhava, being in a, uh, in the state of being, which transcends." bhavana, that transcends all mental activity, that is parabhakti tattva. That is the supreme devotion. So by the strength of self-attentiveness we remain in our state of being. That is the true bhakti. Because that is the state in which we're not rising as ego. And that state in which we remain in in the source from which we rose from without rising again, um, that is Karma, yoga, bhakti, and jnana, he says in the next verse. So all we need to do once we've come to Bhagavan is to persevere in practicing self-attentiveness, trying more and more and more to turn within. Right. Ad- I do Andre Podham, as he says, if you cling to uninterrupted swarupa smarana, until you attain swarupa, that alone is sufficient, Bhagavan has assured us. So that means no other practices are necessary. All other practices were necessary in the past. If we hadn't done all these other practices, we wouldn't have gained the purity to come to this path. So we've done all those practices in the past. They've served their purpose. Now what is necessary is for us to persevere in following this Core part of a real path, the path of self investigation.
3: Yeah, I can see that. So, polish your mind with whatever practice before you come to self investigation, and then self investigation alone is it's sufficient the most after effective.
1: That. That's what he refers to in, in, in Arunacha Ashtakam, in verse uh, my, my, um, verse five of Arunacha Ashtakam. He talks about. Polishing the mind on the stone called mind. Polishing the mind on the stone called mind means the mind needs to be turned inwards and attend to itself. That is how, that is the most effective way of polishing it. Because when we're turning our attention within, though it may seem at first that we're turning our attention within the mind, we're turning back towards ego, what, what ego actually is, is just pure awareness. We seem to be ego when we're looking outwards. If we look within to see who am I, this ego, what will we see? We will see ourselves to be pure awareness. Just as if you look very carefully at the snake, what will you see? Oh, it's not a snake. It's just a rope. Likewise, if we look carefully enough at ego, we'll see, oh, it's not ego. It's just pure awareness.
2: But too many people, when um uh, go inside and... and... Yeah and don't look uh, for phenomenons. Firstly, don't see, ah, I see awareness. No, too many people say, I see emptiness. Or I don't see, I, I, I don't. Em- this is
1: just another thought because they're not looking yes. within deeply enough. They, who sees the emptiness? I see the emptiness. Turn back towards that eye.
2: But how too many people can't uh, see clearly what uh, he really are.
1: None of us can see clearly. So that's why the practice is necessary. We can see clearly. We will be able to see clearly to the extent we put it into practice. Mm -hmm. It's only by looking within more and more and more. Mm
3: -hmm. But but you know
1: what? Forget about emptiness, forget about everything. Who am I? That should be our focus. We should be only concerned with who am I who know this emptiness. So we we forget about the emptiness and we turn our attention back at ourselves.
3: But, but one thing I think is uh, interesting is, uh, as as we at least try it incorrectly, as it may be, um, we begin to have, I mean, at least I can uh, theoretically see that not remembering what we experience in deep sleep is problematic. It's just the fact that I can recall that accurately I can see how that is a problem.
1: Why, why, why we cannot accurately, what, what exists and shines in sleep, what we are in sleep is just pure awareness. But now we are experiencing that pure awareness mixed and complete with adjuncts. So what obstructs us, clearly recollecting what we experienced in sleep is our present ignorance. There is no where... ignorance in in sleep, but we are now viewing sleep through the uh, through uh, through the colored glasses of our own present ignorance, ego. So because as ego, we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are, so we cannot remember ourselves as we actually were in sleep. But the more we look within, the more we become aware of ourselves as something distinct from this body and mind, the more blindingly obvious it will be to us that yes, we were aware in sleep. Yes, yes, yes.
3: We definitely were aware we're in definite, sleep. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, of
1: course. Yeah. But we can see that only to the extent to which we persevere in trying to turn within.
3: In the in the beginning, when I heard about these teachings and and I read about them, it it sounded very or, uh, daunting to like, oh, it's like an incredible technique to remember what happens in sleep. But as we practice, we know there's no need for any incredible yeah. technique. We were clearly aware in sleep, definitely. Yeah.
1: We don't even have to remember what we were in sleep. We have to we don't see even have what to. we are now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if exactly. we see what we are
3: now, That's that is what we were in sleep. That yeah. is what we always are. Yep. But I try to talk to this uh, when um, was I have this friend and I have conversations about the subject with my friend and I can see how he strives to follow up on this. And eventually he himself starts yawning and try and just like he, 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 he <laughs> yeah. held tilts to the side. I mean, falling asleep, yeah. um, but you can see how, oh yeah, I think that's, um, that's something there. Yeah, yeah. So we looked at.
0: And, uh, uh-huh. Michael, to sum up what uh, has been said already, we, could we say that, uh, uh, talking about Vairagya, that we cannot go deeper within or beyond uh, our willingness to surrender ourselves?
1: Yes, yes. yes. That yes. willingness to look within is bhakti. but mm-hmm. bhakti is directly proportionate to the Vairagya. Exactly. They're think... just two sides of the same coin.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the... In the while talking about the uh, eating meat and so on. Uh, this, I think that by practicing and uh, when we try to go within and we we cannot go beyond some point because we at some point, it becomes obvious that if you are uh, really interested in going deeper, yeah. you something stands in the way which is your will. And
1: yeah, yeah,
0: you, at some point, it's like you're confronted with those with your will and how much you are, you value going yeah, within, yeah. really yeah, yeah. within and uh, how as much we, you value, uh, of course, the will, of course, there are some strong vasanas still.
1: Yeah. yeah? But, I, as we were saying earlier, um, Bhagavan said it's all about the, the it, that it's the whole of this spiritual path is a battle within our own will. Mm-hmm. Between uh, uh, our strong vishaya vasanas, and the the seed of sat of that has been sown in our heart by grace mm-hmm. and
0: the the of course that attention plays an important role here because
1: uh, attention yeah, is it, all important yes the, is everything because in, it's under the sway that uh what the vasanas do to us under their sway our attention goes outwards Exactly. So, so, so long yeah. as we allow our attention to go outwards, we are allowing ourselves to be swayed by the When mm-hmm. we allow ourselves to be swayed by the we are thereby strengthening them. Yes. But when we turn our attention back within, we are then being swayed by the Satvasana. So by turning our attention back within, we are strengthening the Satvasana.
0: Mm-hmm. We, cannot, we cannot say that uh, uh, Prarabdha driven drives our attention
1: no no we can't of course no.
0: because no. uh we we move our attention i mean it's but
1: bhagavan bhagavan put it very very simply he said "Prarabdha affects the outward term mind it can mm-hmm. never prevent you turning the mind within mm-hmm. here mind obviously means attention mm-hmm. if we look outwards you... we have to experience for prarabha if we look within then the prarabdha cannot touch us
0: but
3: mm-hmm. if you do hold on to that attentiveness, though, if you if you manage to do this and somewhat yeah. correctly, you will be faced against I, one of two things. Either your your mind will throttle forward. Mm. It's like when you push in the accelerator and the brakes on the same time in your car where the yeah. engine starts, like, going this yeah. way, but the brakes are keeping the car um, stopped. Yeah. Um and that's one option and that the mind can go for or the other option is you just turns off the engine you just falls asleep yeah so what we want is not is none of these two sections we don't want yeah. to be in this throttle state or in the sleep state yeah
1: mm-hmm. we need to walk on the razor's edge That's Mm -hmm. why that analogy is used in the Upanishads. We need to be balanced between that. We need to avoid slipping into thought on the one side and layer or sleep on the other side. And how can we remain balanced on that razor's edge? Only by holding on to what shines in all three states, namely I am. Mm -hmm. So long as we're holding on to I am, we cannot slip into layer Mm -hmm. and we will not be carried away by thoughts. So holding on to I am is the crux of the matter. That's what it's all about.
2: And related to what you said before, uh, Michael, that the Paravda, uh, can affect us when we are uh, staying in Atma Swarupa, yeah, no? Yes. That's I am. But if you are not completely uh, establishing yourself
1: yeah,
2: and there are any thoughts that are yeah. circulating, you are not really... Absolutely, no, establishing that—that no. that is I, I... the
1: thoughts appear only when our attention is going away from ourselves. So, so long as we are experiencing anything other than "I am," our attention is 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 at best divided between "I am" on the one hand and um, uh, uh, whatever else we are aware of.
2: And only so within... we need to
1: turn our attention more and more and more back towards ourselves.
2: And only with the little that you are not absolutely established in what you really are, uh, the karma is open. Yeah,
1: to the the extent to which we allow our attention to move away from ourselves, to that extent we are doing agamya.
2: Yes. And we can say in in the sense that a person... uh, uh, Well, what... uh, whatever whatever of us that is not uh, uh, not become the 180 and, and 79 or, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Uh, degrees, uh, certainly are in, in any moments outside of this complete, uh, established in yeah, itself.
1: Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, we need to turn the full 180 degrees only for a moment That is sufficient to destroy ego. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because when we turn our attention a full 180 degrees, that is when our entire attention is fixed on ourselves and our back is turned on everything else, so to speak. That is, so everything else disappears from our awareness. We're aware only of ourselves. In that state, we experience ourselves as pure awareness. As soon as we as ego experience ourselves with pure awareness, ego is thereby destroyed and the pure awareness alone remains.
2: What I I want to do is you are exposed mm. to the Praharatha karma uh, meanwhile, you know you're, you are not absolutely establishing yourself.
1: Yes, yes
2: Yes. some thoughts comes you are in the frequency of the yes. problem
1: but but let's not be worried about that though the only thing we need yeah. to be concerned about is trying more and more to hold on to ourselves yes so we shouldn't be concerned about the thoughts we should be concerned only about holding on to ourselves this ego is false
3: sorry this ego is yeah. false yes what are we won't be concerned about the false we won't be concerned about the true yeah, yeah. We should
1: be whole- if we want to get rid of the false. We need to hold on to the true. What is true. what is real? What is permanent? That is why it all starts with nitya nitya vasudevika. We need to under clearly see the distinction between ourself as that fundamental awareness I am, which is ever shining, ever existing and shining, and all the adjuncts which are appearing and disappearing.
3: And if this ego was true, true we wouldn't be here because we wouldn't be able to fight it
1: yeah mm-hmm.
3: even fighting it is kind of weird yes yeah. yeah just to correct it
1: yeah we need a, yeah we need not even fight with ego all yeah. we need to do is to turn with it hold on to ourselves and ego will thereby automatically subside back into its well, source look at ourselves. ego means we as ego will subside into our source and the source i am alone will remain
0: that that key in verse 35 is very important. Yes, that the ego uh, grasping and feeding on form, yeah. because it grows abundantly. Because it, uh, as in verse 10, when Bhagavan says that if one thinks that, I, one rejects the, the thought that I am a sinner. Yeah. If you yeah. attend to that thought again and believe it, etc., you will reinforce that by yeah, attending.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Or any other thought that.
0: Uh, yeah practice is difficult or mm. uh i'm not failed etc that will yeah create yeah. a harder impression on yourself
3: yes, yes. Mm-hmm. it's so many pointers but in the end it's just look at our, we have to look at ourselves
1: that's what that's all the pointers given by bhagaran are all pointing at ourselves that is all of but the whole purpose of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our attention back to ourselves. So that is what he's constantly directing our attention towards. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
0: well, he's very explicit when he says, without giving room to, even to the doubting thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, our entire focus should be yeah. on, on being self-attentive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, very, very, <laughs> very clear. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And being uh, because we are constantly being swayed by our vastness that what makes us see the 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 world, yes, the, the picture of name, names of four is like for us what seems to be more obvious in our awareness because yeah
1: because we're looking outwards, it looks very obvious and it seems that we, awareness
0: just... is in the background or something it's yeah, like yeah. hidden in the background.
1: yeah, but a little bit of consideration, careful consideration, it is clear whatever else we may be aware of, we're always aware I am, First, because yeah. everything else, as Bhagavan said, it's like pictures on the screen. The screen mm-hmm. is the fundamental awareness I am. Mm-hmm.
3: Now, one thing is, one one thing though, with what Carl said, is it is hard because there are vishayabhasans, and yes, no, because no, we, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me clarify because I don't to just expand on that. Yeah, and but truly, it's just the ego wants to survive mm. and he survives by means of having attachments to Vasa to Vishayas. Yeah,
2: yeah, in the end,
3: it's for its own survival that it won't do it. It's not that it likes so many phenomena, it just likes it. We as ego are trying to survive, yeah, yeah.
1: When I said no, what I was saying no about, it is not difficult. It seems it difficult, seems difficult. It seems because of our unwillingness.
3: Unwillingness to yeah. not to yeah. not give, give in, to not cease existing as yeah. ego. Yeah. It's not that we like so many phenomena. And oh, like I said, chocolate is so good. I won't, don't want to do it. It's not chocolate. It's our existence as ego that prevents it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, but... Um, it's the liking for all these vishayas, but but that that is what nourishes and sustains ego. Mm-hmm.
3: That is the the lungs. That those are the lungs that the ego has. E- yeah, ego yeah. That, that it, yeah.
1: as Bhagavan said, grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's not
3: like if you give ego enough bad phenomena, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take away the chocolate from you, I'm going to put you in jail, and now you're not going to have any nice things to do. And what about now? Life is a living hell, so now you're going to turn within. You won't turn within.
1: No, even if you're put in hell, you'll continue going. <laughs> if you've got strong <laughs> yeah. share of Basanas, you'll be thinking about
3: how to get out of hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, ha- I have to get to the top of the... Pile of people where yeah, yeah. I don't get that much heat. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it, it, it is our survival yeah. as ego that prevents it. We survive by attaching ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, wrongly, because there's no way to attach correctly to something other than ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's always wrong. Yeah. But we can help but that ego yeah. session. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I don't know if there is some there are some more questions to ask
1: or all questions have to come to an end. Right, <laughs> only one question remains to be considered: Who am I? <laughs> and the answer to that that question can be found only by looking deep within. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's all. These. It's good to think about Bhagavan's teachings, but what is the purpose of Bhagavan's teaching? The whole purpose of Bhagavan's teachings is to turn our attention within. So the more we more clearly we understand Bhagavan's teachings, the more the questions will drop off. And we'll just understand, yes, all that is necessary is to continue trying to turn within. Mm-hmm. Nothing yeah. else is necessary. Bhagavan's teachings are there as a support, but they're useful only to the extent that we actually use that support by trying to turn within.